The financial needs of a business go beyond tax and attest services. That's why CTBK goes beyond accounting services and offers outsourced solutions through their affiliation with CFO Solutions Plus. These additional services allow clients to focus on their operational and long-term strategic goals. Trust CTBK's outsourced solutions to provide cost-effective, value-added financial services tailored to your company's needs. Call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400. Or go to ctbk.com to learn more about CTBK's outsourced solutions. Welcome to another edition of Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants. I am Tim Graham of The Athletic, joined on this episode by Matthew Fairburn, also of The Athletic. And just to keep our Jonah quotient uh, in, in line, uh, we have with us from Dallas, where he is en route to the ballpark to cover Texas Rangers opening day. It is WFAA's Jonah Javad. Jonah, thanks for coming on the show. Bronstein is probably furious you brought another Jonah on the show, but we'll take it. CTBK has us contractually obligated to have at least one Jonah on every broadcast. <laughs> so I think we're all right, and uh, he really has no beef. Um, it's, 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 it's on paper. Uh, Jonah, I wasn't sure if this was some sort of uh, union battle that Jonah was, Bronstein was fighting for better wages and uh, better hours and so you're squeezing them out and hoping the audience doesn't notice just sliding a new jonah in there <laughs> that's right it's like um it's like when they changed the becky on uh roseanne uh, we're just gonna just we're just gonna change the character we don't like that one sorry you're out it's not like what with we did what mash did or uh good times we're not gonna kill off a character uh, i'm not gonna announce that jonah bronstein is dead uh, and then just say that that ends the, the possibility of a member coming back, which is a pretty, actually a pretty dastardly Hollywood thing to do when somebody wants to ease their way off a show uh, or, or when they just want more money. No, we're just going to kill your character and uh, to have a nice life. The ultimate negotiating ploy, the power of the pen. Jonah Javad is uh, not able to join us via video today. So if you're watching on uh, YouTube, you see him looking chipper, uh, downright adorable, I would say, scarf around his neck uh, at Arrowhead Stadium. Uh, do you recall why you were so happy that day so people who are watching on YouTube can maybe put themselves in that moment when they look at your picture? Uh, I think it was probably because I had Q39 on my mind uh, leaving Arrowhead Stadium, and there's, and there's nothing upon Boulevard, Boulevard Wheat on a nice little weekend gathering in, uh, in Kansas City. What were you there for? Was that a Cowboys game? That was Cowboys Chiefs. Um, yeah, that was a, uh, that was not a good, that was not a good game for the good, the, uh, the old Cowboys. Chiefs did them in pretty good. And uh, I feel like I had to take the, the token picture at Arrowhead Stadium, former uh, former home of the Dallas Texans. Shout out Lamar Hunt. So there you go. It, it is an attractive stadium with all the red seats and the yellow trim. Uh, it's an unmistakable venue. 
Uh, so yeah, it's it's a very picturesque place. It is a Kodak moment type uh, venue. Uh, before we get to golf, which is really why I wanted to have both of you guys on here because I know you have such a passion for it, and uh, there is a little bit of a, a Texas tie-in, not even a little bit, a Texas tie-in with the Masters uh, victor. Uh, Jonah, you don't uh, get to join the show much. In fact, it's been a couple of years. Terrestrial radio, I believe. Um, you've been in Dallas for a while. Um, what's it like being a sportscaster in one of the sports world's top cities? You, know, you have all four sports there, of course. The Cowboys are larger than life. The college scene is huge. The high school scene is huge. Um, what's your experience been like since relocating from Buffalo down to Dallas? Yeah, it's, uh, whereas Buffalo feels like just a big, small town, right? And it's, it's very easy to know everyone within maybe a year or two and kind of know all the, um, the inner workings just with, as you mentioned, it's just, there's so many teams and, and it's not just pro and, and college, but even the high school sports scene here is, is ridiculous. I mean, it just the stadiums are bigger than a lot of the colleges that I've seen and covered over the years, it's, uh, I wouldn't say it's overwhelming. You know, I think there's, you know, years of experience that go into kind of prepping you for covering sports in big markets. And it's not having always interesting to cover. And, uh, you know, you're able to carve out different niches, you know, whether it's, uh, you know, I wouldn't call it a beat necessarily, but there's a lot of different avenues for opportunity for people who cover sports in this market. And um, it's not just having to cover the pro teams or, or anything like that. So it's been kind of fun to, um, to do that for the last four years and make connections and, and kind of see a lot of these young stars grow into the national stage, which we've seen a lot lately. It is difficult to get adjusted in new places. I've always found uh, in my uh, moving around that at around the fourth year is when I start to feel like I'm really in a groove, uh, relatively speaking. You know, you think you're doing great work in year one, year two, but when you look back in year three, year four, you're like, ah, man, I'm really feeling it with the sourcing, uh, knowing where everything is, knowing what a story is, knowing what your audiences uh, are going to um, embrace or what you thought was a good story, but maybe you know the the demographic or the uh, um, the market doesn't agree with you. Uh, has that been your case down there? You say you're entering year four. Where where are you with your with your sea legs? Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I mean, listen, it's you know with the Cowboys, you've got beat guys who have been there twenty plus years and are very much embedded in the front office and and those inner workings and they've been for someone in local sports TV, it is extremely hard to kind of develop really strong sources at the pro level where they'll turn to you as opposed to a national guy or, or someone who covers the team on a beat. Um, you know, it's just, it's kind of the thing we battle. It's we're, we're stretched very thin in terms of what we cover because it could be Cowboys one day Mavericks, the next high school. And then, you know, who knows? So um, obviously preference, for reporter wise it's given to the guys who have been there a long time cover the team day to day and um you know that's just kind of sourcing journalism 101 um you know for those who are uninitiated but um i think from my standpoint and 
you guys have known this, you know, dating back to my years in Buffalo, it's, it's very much storytelling and sharing stories that have are relatively unknown to uh, not even just the local audience, but maybe the national audience as well. And, um, you know, getting a chance to kind of share those and, and reveal them because I think, at, you know, at its core, that's what journalism, journalism is, is, is kind of sharing those stories that people don't know. So um, it's been kind of fun to experience that. And that's kind of goes back to what I was saying is it's never a dull moment. There's, there's tons of those stories and tons of them every day go untold. And so it's just kind of a constant pursuit of, of sharing that and bring those stories and communities to light. Um, one thing I've, I mean, this, it, it can be really overwhelming, you know, when you've got so many people here. I mean, the, the population here just continues to surge. Um, you know, my wife and I live out, you know, in the eastern part of North Texas. And for us to get to like Fort Worth, it's about the same time it would take to get from Buffalo to Rochester, maybe longer. Um, and, that, and that's all in the same market, the same, uh, you know, the same TV market. So uh, it's, it's widespread, uh, widespread. It's, it's vast. It, it, it's larger than life. You know, that the whole cliche is everything's bigger in Texas. Well, I mean, it, it kind of is. So um, it's, but it's been a lot of fun. And I feel like I'm finally starting to plant some roots here. And, um, but I would be lying if, you know, my, you know, Nalina and I both didn't always, you know, have a soft spot for Buffalo, considering that's really where we, um, where we spent a lot of our formative years growing up. My question, uh, my last question regarding uh, the Metroplex. Uh, obviously it's a big four sports market. It's got all of uh, everything you would want and more, especially when you even go down into the college level, different conferences, uh, even the small college stuff. I know that the JUCOs and, you know, there's just so much to cover, but I wanted to ask regarding the Dallas stars, where are they on the map? I, I think that uh, there are some Sabres fans that are, that are curious. And in your four years there, have you, have you ever encountered anybody uh, who wants to talk about Brett Hull's game-winning goal? Because I would think that even a great moment like that, I'm saying a great moment if you're a Stars fan, to win the Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. I think that Sabres fans think about that way more than even Stars fans do. Yeah, I definitely think that's true. Uh, it, it, weighs, it weighs heavily on, on Sabres fans more than, than the Stars fans are, uh, you know, walking around bragging even about it day Dallas, to day. I mean, it's, even that even fans of in the market even care about the stars. There are. Okay. So the, the way we kind of joke about it at a, at a local media level is, you know, the stars have another sellout tonight. It's the same something thousand fans as, as the last game, you know, they've got a very diehard fan base um, that, and that's that's their base. That's it. I mean, the ones who are going to the games are consistently the ones going to games. It's not like a Rangers game, perhaps, or, or a Mavericks game where people are just kind of going to enjoy the atmosphere. And it could be maybe they go to one or two games. I mean, I would venture to guess the people that are going to at least one Stars game a year are probably going to more, um, multiple, a lot more. Um, that's just kind of how it is. It's a lot of season ticket holders and um I mean, honestly, as you know, because the stars are so low on the totem pole uh, of the four majors here, I mean, and honestly, some of the colleges can get bigger treatment than the stars media wise. Uh, 
their staffing and their communications department and their accessibility is the best because they know how tough it is for them to get attention from sometimes us and, and from the media. So um, they pretty much will do whatever they can to, uh, to get some airtime, which is great. I mean, it's, that's what it's all about, right? Accessibility and access, you know, getting that kind of access. So um, yeah, I mean, they're, I wouldn't say anybody's really going around bragging about the, uh, that goal. I did a story a while back, um, a couple of years ago when the stars were in the, uh, in the Stanley cup final. And we were doing a look back to that no goal year. And we did interviews with some of these former stars. And um, it was funny. I came across an old clip of Jerry Sullivan. Um, <laughs> he was working at the news still. Um, and, I guess our station here at WFAA had interviewed him because he had written something uh, probably he had written something that was making people a little bit emotional on both sides. So um, that was a, that was a fun, uh, fun throwback when I got to share that story and had a, a nice little Buffalo sprinkle in there. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't really think the fans here care all that much about that one Stanley cup championship. Some, some years ago, they're, they're very much focused on wanting the next one. So and they don't live any, in the past like a lot of Sabres fans. Lest anyone think that I am uh, taking shots here at the Dallas sports fan and their love for hockey, I think that it just gets lost amid all of the more mainstream sports. But 18,532 is capacity at American Airlines Center. And Hockey Heaven, which was – stroking itself over the Jack Eichel crowd and of course finally selling out for Rick Jenneret as deservedly so uh, but out down in Dallas uh, where I'm sure a lot of Western New Yorkers and, and people from the Northeast would look down their nose and say that's no hockey market 12 <laughs> sellouts this year 18,532 at American Airlines Center for a team that is pedestrian so there you go I, you know what? I don't, don't let me say pedestrian. They're fifth in the Central Division, but let, let, they do have 86 points. So sorry. Don't let me. Don't let me. Less. Yeah, I mean, I think the they'll be a, again. Less than anyone thinks. I think they'll be a playoff team, um, but that's that's just how it is, right? I mean, it's hockey is big here for the people that really like hockey. It's not a one of those sidebar sports you know for a lot of people in buffalo even for the ones who are not diehard hockey fans necessarily they'll watch and support the sabers because when bill season ends that's what you do um and that you know that there's there's not really that here in dallas they don't have to um you know they'll transition from cowboys into and choose the mavericks if they want to focus on them they can start turning their attention to you know texas rangers baseball they've got options it's um a little bit different when you've got those all those pro teams that you can root for and I definitely believe that Buffalo has that potential if they want to let's say bring back the Braves would love that they could do that for sure but whether they will or not probably not happening they're not going to do that they can't do that I would love that do an expansion throw one in Buffalo throw one in KC let's do it I'm all for it they don't uh, no it's not going to happen they can't they can't even uh handle a hockey one hockey team they they're not going to throw another winter team out there to have to compete for 
for attendance uh, in the same arena uh, on uh, during the same time of the year. I do want to. What if they just though. switch? What if they just convert the Sabers into a basketball team? Well, see, now that's so, a conversation we could have. That I mean, obviously, that's not going to happen either. However, would the Braves succeed if there were no Sabers? And I think that's a resounding yes. Uh, I think one or the other is can be successful, not both together. And it is a good thought exercise to go back and relive what might have happened had the Sabres left town and not the Braves and, and how much of an NBA town uh, Buffalo would be. Um, before we move on to the Masters, I just want to state for the record, because sometimes I say things off the top of my head and uh, uh, the Dallas Stars, while I did say pedestrian, they are tied for seventh. They are middle of the pack. But when I see 86 points, I don't want to say that's pedestrian. They have two more points uh, and have a game in hand on the Las Vegas Golden Knights, which everybody thinks uh, everybody seems to love the Golden Knights, even though they're so they're less pedestrian than the Golden Knights this year. I just want to qualify my remarks, John. Tim is showing a healthy fear for those rabid Stars fans that Jonah mentioned, <laughs> and I respect it. It's, it's a healthy fear for the Sabres fans who are going to tell me I don't know my hockey. Um, and that's, a, that's, that's factual. Um, let's bring in Matthew Fairburn. He's been patiently waiting. Um, boys, uh, tell me your thoughts on Masters Week. Uh, we just wrapped up with uh, a great story on the champion while most eyes were on Tiger Woods. Um, still a, a, a very compelling Masters uh, tournament. Um, Matthew, we haven't heard you from you in a little bit. I know that you were uh, – what, what were your general thoughts on on what we saw over the last five days? Yeah, I thought it was – you know, it's interesting to see Scotty Scheffler emerge as this powerhouse in 2022 when it felt like for the longest time his peers in his age group, Colin Morikawa, Victor Hovland, Matthew Wolf, were kind of the – the superstars and one everybody was talking about and Scotty Scheffler kind of just hung out at, you know, not totally under the radar to, to people who pay attention, certainly not under the radar to our friend Jonah Javad here, who uh, I think has gotten to know his story pretty well, but he was sort of just outside that group, but he sniffed contention in majors. And now he's, I mean, he's up over $10 million in earnings this year. He's won four tournaments since Super Bowl weekend, which I believe is what, the last six times he's been out, he's won four times, which is not common these days. And, you know, the way he overpowered the field, um, despite almost, he made it a little uncomfortable on that last green with a, a few of those putts. I just think it's, uh, it's a, a pretty cool story when, you know, this time a couple of years ago, everybody was talking about Morikawa or a couple months ago. Hovland was, you know, destined to, to rip off all these wins, but it's Scheffler who's getting it done on the, on the biggest stage. Uh, like you mentioned with Tiger Woods and all these other storylines, you know, I see all the columns from national columnists, you know, I, I watch more golf, I would say, than the average person. And so Scotty Scheffler winning a tournament wasn't, you know, something new. He's, he's won me some money uh, over the last couple of months, but he, you know, it seems like a lot of people are figuring out who he is. And I'm curious to see if he can keep it going because um, after Colin Morikawa won his first major, everybody was ready to see him start piling them up. Brooks Kepka a few years ago was piling them up and missed the cut this weekend. So 
Scheffler is kind of the next big thing. And now he has to carry that on those, those large shoulders of his. Do you think he goes by the name Scotty simply to uh, at least a little bit more differentiate himself from any confusion of anybody calling him Steve Stifler? It's, it's possible that would, you know, that's a question that I'd like to, to hear him asked at some point, because Scotty is slightly unusual. And people have not done that story, maybe because the genteel sport of golf, that is uh, the people who cover golf and are really into golf, probably maybe don't watch American pie or don't have that reference in their head. But um, I think, I think there's something to it. I think he has to go by Scotty because it's just one extra syllable. It's just something he's got to differentiate himself. So people don't accidentally call him Stifler. I saw someone on TV the other day call him Scotty Schefter, and uh, that's not ideal. Not not a good time to be going by Schefter these days. <laughs> no. Not these days. No, I'd say I'd say Scotty is piling up more wins than than Schefter these days. Yeah, that's. I think that's fair for sure. Um, for, for for the uh, for the unknown, Scotty is called Scotty because his dad is Scott. That's con- that's just convenient. That's just a convenient excuse. I think this is a stiff situation, and I want, I'm want i going to make this a thing. We need an I-team investigation. So, Jonah, you've covered him. Uh, you posted a story that you did on him earlier today. He's a North Texas kid. Um, mm-hmm. what, what's, your, what's been your experience in following his career? Because he is a – people want to talk about how he came out of nowhere, which makes it seem like he – I don't know, maybe it's come too easy or wow, would you look at that? But there's more to the story than just all of a sudden flipping a switch. Yeah, the uh, the funny thing about coming out of nowhere is that couldn't be further from the truth when it comes to Scotty Scheffler. I mean, he won a state title on a broken left ankle um, back in high school at Highland Park. He went to Texas, which is a absolute dominant golf uh, golf school, same school that Jordan Spieth and a bunch of others have have gone to. Uh, his junior golf career in North Texas, he won like seventy five percent of any tournament he played in. Like any tournament he played in, he like seventy five percent of the time he won. It was some some crazy number like that. Um, you know, so for those who have seen him play or kind of know any of his backstory, him reaching this level of success was was not really a surprise. It was more of just a matter of time, but. I don't think anyone saw what's happened over the last two months to take place, which, you know, as, as Fairburn mentioned, four wins in the last six starts, a master champion ascending to number one in the world. And, you know, you look, you look and you try to figure out, well, how, how could this possibly be the case? But you look at his track record in terms of, you know, what he does well, and he's figured out a way to manage his game and play incredibly smart and not he's a very he's probably one of the best golfers on tour at managing risk first reward he's not going to make the stupid shot he's not going to take the stupid risk he's he's going to manage his game and manage his round and pick his spots and i guess every golfer really tries to do that but no one's been better at it than scotty over the last uh two three months and he's come close you know a few times in the past you know finally to winning his first tournament um but he's not kind of afraid of this stage because he's played with some of the and competed against some of the best golfers on tour right now. 
you know, when he sees his buddy Morikawa, who was on that 2017 Walker Cup team, when he sees Morikawa win a major championship, that just further validates, you know, the thought in his head that, oh, I can also win one. You know, when he sees Will Zalatoris finish in second place at the Masters last year, one of his contemporaries growing up in North Texas, one of his fellow 2017 Walker Cup teammates, you know, had that success at Augusta as a debutante. That further validates Scheffler in Scheffler's mind that I can win a major. And then what we've seen over the last two months is really just a culmination of everything coming together. So um, I'm not surprised by it. I'm surprised at the, the rapid rise that we've seen. Um, I think I, I expected it to happen at some point. I just didn't think it was going to happen this quickly. Um, but the one thing we've got to remember and, you guys have touched on it brilliantly is there's always someone up next. The young golfers around right now are so good. They are so good. And to anoint somebody, the next big thing is just, it's, it's so unfair because we did that to Jordan and Spieth went on to win three majors in his first few years on tour. And then for the next four years was bad. Like he was not, he was not good. Um, and, you know, th that's golf in a nutshell. I mean, things can go haywire in a hurry and you really spend, you can spend years trying to, to get it back. So um, I think we just need to appreciate what Scheffler is doing in the moment. And if anything, let it be a reminder of how absurd Tiger Woods was for a 10 year stretch longer um, and how dominant he was. He was about just as dominant and he did it for a decade. And that is, it is just stupid hard. And, you know, imagine this conversation about Scheffler that we've had over two months and then extrapolate that by 20. It's, it's nuts. So I just I hope wonder it, uh, how much helps. like that kind of messed with everybody's heads, like this generation of golf fan that thinks, okay, here we go. Like Scotty Scheffler, four wins, six starts, like, not next tiger, but they're looking for that next thing to come even close. And nobody is even like in that stratosphere. You had yeah, Rory McIlroy dealing with the front end of that, uh, covering the new England Patriots. You know, right. It's similar. Get, yeah. Get, you're used to it. Like here it comes. All right, well, let's get that new quarterback and let's start over. Come on, Bill, find another one. Um, and, and, and they're probably at a loss for saying, eh, I don't know if I like this Mac Jones. Uh, I love him because I'm a Patriots fan and he has to work because I've always seen it work with Bill Belichick wearing that hoodie on the sideline. Therefore he must be great or this guy isn't shit. He's no Tom Brady. Right. It's like, you have to compare it to the last thing that you saw. And <laughs> right. Mac Jones doesn't need to be Tom Brady to have a successful team because nobody else had Tom Brady and there were other teams that won. And it's just like, you know, there doesn't have to be another Tiger Woods. There probably never will be. I mean, Jonah mentioned it. I wasn't as avid a golf fan growing up. And so now, you know, following the sport really closely the last five years or so, you look back at some of the things that he did and you just kind of scratch your head at how it happened. I was, you know, sort of just following it casually as a, as a young kid. And I think it kind of skews the perception of what these guys are doing on tour like waiting for the next thing how many is he going to get and instead of just appreciating like wow this is a great stretch of golf that scotty scheffler's played he'll probably contend for majors for the next 10 years 
but Jonah mentioned all the golfers that, you know, all the parody in golf right now, uh, all the great young golfers. It's part of what fascinates me about the sport is how, you know, no other sport is so individual and so mental the way that golf is, the way that Jordan Spieth can go from being what he was to what we saw for four years. And then, you know, even this weekend, he's still fighting it, you know, and Justin Thomas, who many people would consider one of the five best golfers in the world, maybe the best iron player on tour right now, couldn't figure it out this weekend. I mean, he finished in the top 10, but was never close to, to Scotty Scheffler. And, you know, it's just such a strange sport that way. Uh, Rory McIlroy had a huge Sunday, but it feels like we've been waiting a long time for him to really figure it out at these majors again. So these guys that are, you know, I don't know, it's becoming a young man's game in some way because some of these guys are are winning these tournaments and there's a, it seems like another one or two of them on tour every year. But it's a, it's a strange sport because when you're hot, you got to ride it because when it goes away, it's not always easy to get it back. Yeah, that was uh... – that's the thing, you know, it's, and it's maybe uh, there are some in our profession and maybe I'm even guilty of it. You get it into a formulaic way of, of looking at sport uh, or a team or, or any, or any given topic, how, no matter how micro or macro you want to get. But for the last 20 years, journalism has, golf journalism has been about the chase, you know, about Ben Hogan and Jack Nicholas and, and so now they come along, uh, these these great players who have these bursts onto the scene, and it's like, okay, now now, you, now people want to start mentioning, you know, how many can Scheffler get? Can Scheffler be the one who challenges Jack or, or whatever? And it's it's lazy and a bit sensationalistic, but, it, you know, it's like you say, and you, you put it perfectly, Matthew, there doesn't have to be a next Tiger. You know, we can enjoy – we should be able to – recalibrate our brains to appreciate the sport for what it is and not have to rely on Tiger Woods being at the center of it. Um, and so I guess that leads me to my next question. What, what did Tiger add to the masters or did he, does he begin to detract at some point uh, from, from the players who, who are, you know, the Scotty Schefflers? Uh, I don't know. I, I liked it. I like following Tiger uh, on this. He, it was a great story, even though he didn't play particularly well. And believe it or not, I do have a golf insider uh, who told me that uh, Saturday was going to be the day that uh, Tiger was going to have the most trouble, mostly because of the weather. It's cold, that his body and the injuries and all these things that he was probably going to, that it was going to start accumulating for him on Saturday. And the guy turned out to be dead on. Um, and, you can just uh, say yeah. Chris Baker. We all know Chris. It's not Chris Baker. <laughs> it's not Chris Baker, but you were almost in his pool. Uh, uh, Matthew had you ah, yes. in on time. You would have been in his pool. Um, so I guess, Joan, I'll ask you, what, what about Tiger's um, presence in the Masters and, and how uh, you felt uh, his story added uh, to it or maybe even detracted? I think it's a bit of both. Um, you know, of course, he's going to dominate the headlines. He's going to overshadow all the other awesome young players in the game. But the, the truth is Tiger moves the needle. He's going to draw more viewers. He is such a bigger benefit to the, the greater good of the game and the money made on ad revenue and, and all of that and, and attention, right? You know, if he's drawing more viewers, it's just more viewers that are going to learn about 
the Scotty Schefflers who maybe didn't know that he was number one in the world entering the week. And so I think even a lot of these young guys understand that. I don't think any of them, a lot of them, you know, idolized Tiger growing up. So um, yeah, I think, you know, and if the, maybe the old heads that were playing in the masters that were just like, Oh, Tiger, just stealing the attention again. I mean, it, that's, it's just so ridiculous and makes it so weirdly personal. I, I think there's nothing that Tiger did that was, um, that was self-serving in this situation. He fought back, he, he competed, he made, he made the cut, which is more than you can say about Brooks or Bryson or, you know, a lot of these other big names that we're used to seeing. And um, he, draw, he drew more viewers and, and people watch and people love stories. They love comeback stories. The, the irony of this, tiger, this whole Tiger saga though, and even going back to his back fusions and all of that, Tiger has never been an underdog. We've like, he is never, he's like the opposite of an underdog. He is very much like the, uh, the Michael Jordan. He is the, the pinnacle of the sport. He is far from an underdog. And yet we try to create these underdog stories for him because of things that he has done, things he is responsible for in his personal life that have set him back, you know, coming back from, oh, something that he was, you know, these are, these are things that he created himself. He shouldn't have been doing 85 in a 45 early in the morning in Los Angeles. It's, of course, it's great that he is alive and has his leg intact. But again, these are, these are not things where some things inflicted on him. These are self-inflicted issues. And we have this, we have this weird thing as people where we just want to you know turn people into underdogs even when they're not and so we just we wanted to see the underdog story of tiger woods making a run at the masters sunday 14 months after he almost had his right you know his his leg amputated it's great it's great for the sport it's great for storytelling it's great for you know attention it, it gives us lots of you know fuel to to chat it's just hilarious. It's just kind of like a psychoanalysis as us as people and how, how we view athletes and how we try to manipulate them in our brain to being something that maybe they're not. We love yeah, the crappy overachiever 10 times out of 10 over the arrogant badass. Like the dominant, the dominant arrogant prick, you know, the Mike Tyson at his, at his height. Um, we, but we'd rather see, you know, Tom Brady. You know, we, we, everybody wants to think of Tom Brady still as a 199th overall draft pick and all the guys who went before him, even as he's entering his 47th year in the league. Uh, and it, I think he's past that now. I think we, <laughs> that story gets told all the time. I think we, I think we've gotten past that. I think he's, he's a pretty arrogant prick. And, uh, and, and when I say pretty, I say rather, and also handsome. I'm using the term both ways. Uh, he's a handsome, arrogant prick. Uh, and a rather arrogant prick, but he's really, really friggin' good. But everybody would rather latch on to the overachiever aspect to it. Yeah, it's I mean, obviously a big part of his story. And now I'm throwing out some word salad. But anyway, I feel similarly about Tiger Woods to Jonah, where again, I, I grew up sort of with Tiger Woods, but I didn't necessarily grow up such an avid golf fan that I, um, idolized Tiger Woods the same way a lot of people my age did. I, I just turned 30. So I'm in the Tiger Woods sweet spot, I feel like, but I didn't really, 
you know, have, you know, strong feelings about him one way or the other. And by the time I was old enough to, you know, start getting into golf and start understanding who the athletes were as people, I was 18 years old when all that stuff happened with his ex-wife, um, you know, and I was, I was going off to college. And then obviously a few years ago, he gets into the car accident and these are semi, you know, you can twist these things around to make him the underdog and make it a redemption story. But like Jonah said, it's, it's a lot of self-inflicted stuff and it's not, it's weird because yeah, we, it's almost like people have to make him the underdog to justify, you know, pulling for the guy because how many people also hate Tom Brady, right? Everybody wants to root it, loves to hate Tom Brady, but people don't really love to hate Tiger Woods that he's one of the few front runners that people really love to get behind. People weren't pulling for the Patriots a couple of years ago when the Titans knocked him out of the playoffs, but people are still pulling for Tiger Woods. And I think, I think it's very early in his career though. There was a racial element of probably I think yeah. is. like he, he was famous before he had won anything. And in fact, I, in this coincidental, I don't want to say that I was Johnny on the spot with this, but I have, I covered his first PGA win, which was in Las Vegas when I was living there. And my assignment was to just follow Tiger Woods uh, and the galleries. And, you know, so I was very much aware that this guy is a big freaking deal and he hadn't won anything yet. And I think there was some resentment from, you know, well, it was and a lot of it was racially motivated, but I think also some of it, too, was this guy is getting way too much attention for not having earned anything. But within a year or two, I think a lot of that evaporated because he was just that good and, and everybody finally realized it. Yeah. And if you go back and read, uh, I've read that Tiger Woods book that Armin Catan and Jeff Benedict did a few years ago. And, you know, you follow enough of Tiger Woods origin story. And he actually does become somewhat of a sympathetic character for unexpected reasons because his dad was so hard on him from such a young age. And, you know, you just wonder how much of who he is was shaped by how much attention he had so young, how much attention, you know, how much pressure he was under from his dad and, and then from other external influences. And I thought about, you know, you brought up Tom Brady. I thought about Tom Brady this weekend for a different reason, because as Tiger was kind of, you know, limping around the golf course and grinding it out, you know, to make the cut and, you know, finish, you know, 40 something or whatever he did. I just, I, I kept having a similar thought that I have occasionally with Tom Brady, even though Tom Brady hasn't reached that point where he's, limping around the field and you know not performing at his peak but I just thought why is he doing this like he's got kids at home his body clearly is not up to it in the same way that he's used to I think about that with Brady a lot you know why 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 are you doing this like what's wrong with you um, Brady's and still great so I think it's Brady's still great so it's different but great. he's so old and he's got kids at home and he's got like all this other stuff, all these other business interests, other things that he wants to do. Tiger Woods has a lot of that going on. And you just wonder why they still do it. And it, it's a reminder that these elite level athletes, these like, like top of the very top, they sacrifice a part of themselves in order to be that great. You know, they sacrifice a part of their being that is hard to wrap your head around because they're just so they're so different, you know, like normal human ration, you know, rationality and thoughts like doesn't really apply to them because tiger 
just badly wants to do things that nobody has ever done and push himself an, to the, the peak. And there becomes an increasing likelihood with Tom Brady with every passing year that he will end up looking a little bit more or maybe like Tiger Woods did over the weekend uh, or sitting on the bench with the um, with the raincoat or the heavy winter coat over his head while some other quarterbacks out there finishing the game because Tom, you know, took a bad hit or whatever. Uh, it could be uh, September. That could happen in October. Blaine Gabbert could be out there and Tom Brady could be, you know, I mean, it happens really quickly in football. It happened really quickly for Tiger Woods because of some, uh, you know, because of a, a, you know, tragic accident. But, um, you know, it's interesting to watch these guys as they get to that stage. And because now I feel like athletes with, you know, sports performance and, and sports science and nutrition and everything else can keep themselves going a little bit longer physically, uh, you have to wonder what it does to them mentally, you know, how they stay that locked in. And I think ultimately the longer Tiger hangs on, especially for these big tournaments, it's, you know, it's good for golf. Uh, it gets people paying attention and talking about it. And, you know, I, I think that type of thing has a big benefit on the entire game it has for years. And the beauty of golf, I think, with all the broadcast options and everything else, I'm not the biggest Tiger Woods guy heading into this weekend. Uh, you know, I, I didn't really, you know, care too much how he was doing. And I can flip over to a, a different channel and watch a different group play. You know, I can, uh, you know, kind of flip around and pay attention to something else while figuring out if Tiger Woods is actually going to be in the mix on the weekend. And when he wasn't, you know, the, the broadcast was rightfully paying attention to other things. So the people that get really frustrated that Tiger gets too much attention I say you don't really need to pay that close of attention to it if you don't really want to. If you really want to watch Scotty Scheffler and Will Zalatoris, there's a means to do so. Um, but the, for a I tournament like, like the Masters, Sports Center, um, you know, Tiger, if he didn't lead on a certain day, he was the number two story, and then they went to the desk and and then they pontificate on Tiger. And but that's the best content. You know, it's the same thing with the Brett Favre towards the end of his career or any other. You know, it's it's the as Jonah said, it's what moves the needle. But isn't that the same as, I don't know, people caring about what's on the highlight shows is a weird psychological thing too. It's like, it, it's in well, Buffalo. They, like they, me, that's where I find out who did what in at the Masters today, because I'm not sure. I'm not going to sit and watch the Masters all day. And when I want to see, okay, what, what's, what's happening at the Masters? And I, and I tune in and it's 10 minutes straight of Tiger. Um, then you know, I, I'm not upset about it. I mean, I get it. I, and, and I, I enjoy, well, I, there was a payoff for me for the tiger coverage also, cause it's fascinating, but I just, and that's when I, you know, when I introduced the topic, I, I wondered how much of a distraction it is from the, the casual sports fan who uh, probably still doesn't know Scotty Scheffler's name, uh, but uh, they saw, you know, 30 minutes of tiger coverage on on each of on, on saturday and sunday yeah um, it can be a distraction for sure i think but i would just think like those dallas stars fans that jonah talked about i think golf has a core of fans that are watching every week that are there's a reason those purses are so big there's a reason the you know the sponsorships roll in the way that they do they have a pretty good built-in floor I think those people know where to to shift their eyes. I mean, 
if it were if Tiger Woods were the distraction, then people wouldn't be learning about Scotty Scheffler this weekend. You know, you wouldn't see national columns written that you might be learning Scotty Scheffler's name for the first time. It's like, well, that type of golf fan might be distracted, but they were distracted anyways. They weren't paying attention to Scotty Scheffler before Sunday, and he had already won three times, including a, a WGC. So I don't know. It's a matter of there's a reason you know, Tiger gets the coverage because it is fascinating and because it is what the layman cares about. And it is what it's a human interest story. It's a, that could be on CNN for 10 minutes and people would pay attention to it. So yeah, I mean, you gotta, that's, you gotta think of the bigger picture with golf too is, and especially with these types of, you know, who, who wins and who's in contention is the percentage of people who really care about Scheffler is amazing. Pitch shot on this hole is, is small. Right. It, it's more about the story, the backstory. Who is this guy? Where does he come from? What is he like? Because people are obsessed with the, the unknown and they want to feel emotionally charged by somebody. Right. Right. Hideki winning was so cool because of the, you know, the cultural impact and, and, and making history for Japan. With Tiger and him getting that much coverage, even if, you know, if however plus many he finished, it's because people feel some type of way about him. You don't hear the name Tiger Woods in a, in a, a moat in some former way. Um, and part of that's fascination, but part, most of that is polarity, right? Like he's either a magnet for people that are huge fans or he is somebody that people still, you know, really don't like, um, you know, for any past indiscretions. And, and they hold that over him. But feeling some type of emotion about an athlete or a person is not going to make you change the channel. And in fact, it's the opposite. Um, whereas if you're just showing highlights of some guys you've never heard of and you don't know anything about their story and you have no emotional attachment, um, then it becomes less interesting. And so there's things, a lot of things at play in the fact that Tiger's been on, you know, been doing this for 25 plus years type of thing. So, um, there's experience and history and generations involved. So there's a lot that goes into it. Um, I'm just thankful that he got through four rounds of golf. And I think that was really all he wanted to do was walk the four rounds at Augusta, go up and down the hills, see how the body felt and responded, get back to his treatment and his plan and go play the next three majors of the year and go from there and hopefully get another round of rest and off season and, and just keep continuing to, you know, try to win these, these big events. Cause I think that's really all that he really cares about at this point. Yeah, you're right, Jonah. It is the fact that we know this guy for better or, or worse. We know, we know his positives. We know his negatives. We know his personal life. We know his professional life. And I don't want to say we're necessarily emotionally invested, but I guess to some degree we are intellectually invested over 20 years with this guy uh, that he obviously is going to, um, like you say, he, he's going to make you feel some way and unlike Scotty Scheffler yet, like maybe someday Scotty Scheffler will do that, but right now it's Tiger Woods. And I mean, and real quick, and, and Joan, I know you got to go cover a baseball game, but um, just to wrap things up, it, it reminds me of my passion for boxing and the fact that I covered it for so many years and wrote for ring magazine and I covered it for ESPN and the whole thing. And now people ask me about boxing and I don't know shit about it. And the reason, and I don't care to watch the fights. And the reason I find myself not even watching the fights is I don't know who these guys are. Uh, and yeah, I have to like work. It's, it's almost like having to do homework to, to learn these, the backstories of the top boxers nowadays, because you're not seeing them talked about 
in, in, in more mainstream ways like we used to back when Tyson was at the top and De La Hoya and, or even when my formative years of Ray Leonard and Roberto Duran and Thomas Hearns and Hagler and Larry Holmes, all that stuff. And now I see these guys and I'm like, who the fuck is this? And he's fighting for a title. I used to know who the the seventh ranked guy was in pretty much every division, and now now it's a TV fight, and I'm like, I don't even know who the fuck this is. I'm not watching this. Um, so anyway, oh, and by the way, his records eight no or, or some shit. So anyways, I'm getting a little riled up. Uh, Jonah, I know you have a ball game here in less than an hour. Uh, it means a lot to me that you would carve out some time. I, I reached out to you. Uh, after seeing your Scotty Scheffler uh, piece retweeted on Twitter um, that you had done, and I thought it would be perfect to bring you on. And I know how much you love golf. Uh, I know you were paying attention, and Matthew Fairburn, the same thing. I, I know you guys love the sport and can speak on it in, in a much more um, philosophical slash romantic slash comprehensive <laughs> way than I can. So thanks for doing this. Yeah, happy to. And, you know, it's, it's, uh, and got to admit it, you know, you pull for people where you know a bit about their background and getting a chance to chat with his family last year at that golf tournament. And it was more than just that interview. I mean, the interview was done and we must have spent another 30, 45 minutes just talking about life ourselves. They asked me about, you know, my backstory and everything like that. And they were truly and interested. And I, yeah, I, we, we, they were, they were, uh, they were very inquisitive. I was like, well, here we go. The Shufflers are going to know about Jonah Javad. Um, but that was it. Um, you know, it's like, uh, did I ever tell you the time I drank 10 bush lights at, uh, at Terry Hills in Batavia? No? Well, let me tell you that story. Um, no. So it's. You ever hear of Jerry really, Sullivan? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, but it was, it was really, um, that conversation really let me into their family dynamic. And how what it might appear like on TV and the hugs and the kisses and those, you know, fleeting all, you know, those are nice moments. You never really know what's going on with, you know, the family dynamics behind the scenes. Just ask Patrick or Aaron Rodgers. Um, but for the Shefflers, it's unbelievable. The, the kind of bond and close knit family that they are and the shared love and how his sisters would, caddy for him and he would caddy for his sisters and the parents were there for support and his dad is just a, a riot guy from new jersey just busting my child he's just they were they were the family you know the, the quintessential golf family you'd ever hope for right you know grounded down to earth and their son who loves basketball probably more than anything just happens to be an incredible golfer um and that's cool i i just i love stuff like that i'm you know fortunate we got to share that story and i'm you know, it's it's easy to root for guys like that when, uh, you know, it, they just they feel like they represent, you know, the sport. Um, and I'm not a big believer in representing sports in the quote unquote right way. I'm not, I'm not I don't really believe in that, but easy guy to root for. And uh, it'll be fun to see how long he can keep it going. Well, Jonah, thank you for doing this. I'm not going to make you stay for my Amherst Pizza and Ale House ad read. Uh, you I can, do love Amherst like to, Pizza and Ale like House, to though. chime in and, uh, <laughs> and uh, add to it, or you can just disconnect. But I, I want to thank you for being on the show uh, and, uh, and for giving us your thoughts. Oh, before you go, because I guess I want you to hear this. Uh, not that it's any kind of great bouquet I'm throwing, but uh, I am now on a podcast with the two men I've been, had my most fun on golf courses with. 
Um, I don't play, but I have really enjoyed driving both Matthew Fairburn and Jonah Javad at various times uh, on a round or two of golf uh, and uh, some other uh, shenanigans. Um, so that's, I guess, when I think golf, you're the two guys. And uh, I remember most of it. <laughs> yeah, those back guys can get can get a little blurry. Um, thanks for having thanks for having me, uh, TG. Much love to both of you guys, and uh, let's do this again sometime. How about Jonah Javad from WFAA ah, in Dallas. Oh wait, do you have more you want to say? Oh, no, I think he's I think he's leaving. All right, go away, Jonah. All right, Jonah Javad from, uh, I think he was driving to the ballpark, and by the end there, he was muting his microphone. I think he was going through the parking attendant, and uh, I think he's probably on his way to the press box now. Or down to the field. He may have been in there. Guys, They need Who their knows? scenics. Their uh, look lives, or their just live shot. I don't know. It would probably be more of a, I can't imagine he's going live at 220 Central, but... Matthew Fairburn, I know that if you were in town over the weekend, you would have watched the Masters uh, or your your baseball games, uh, your NHL, your – oh, you know what? I can't say that. I have to retract that. You would have watched the professional hockey and the professional basketball games and the professional golf event in Georgia uh, at Amherst Pizza and Ale House, uh, especially with uh, New York State. Uh, having legalized gambling, uh, Amherst Pizza and Ale House is a great place to go because they have a fleet of televisions, and it is over 60 degrees today. Check out that patio. You can watch uh, all the sports out there, get some fresh air, drink some beers, and uh, bet on the sports. Right from your phone. Right from your phone. Uh, I can't do that. Uh, you can't, you cannot, but um, you got to come back and check it out. Uh, you, you would not believe how easy it is to bet on the sports these days in the state of New York, Matthew. Amherst Pizza and Ale House, recognized by ESPN.com as Western New York's top spot to watch sports. A lot of energy there. I love it. It is located at 55 Cross Point Parkway in Getzville. That's right off of Millersport Highway in the 990. Stop in or call for takeout and delivery, 716-625-7100. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it right there on the awning uh, from the picture uh, that I post. 716-625-7100, Amherst Pizza and Ale House. Matthew, before I cut you loose, we can't, uh, we can't end without getting some update uh, for the folks here in uh, Western New York, or mainly in Western New York. I know who my audience is. I'm sure that, I'm sure that Tim Graham and Friends brought to you by CTBK, CPAs and Business Consultants is global. However, I know my core audience. What uh, what should Bills fans know about the Patriots these days? Well, they're they've been pretty quiet for the most part this off season. So, my um, you know, let me ask you this: We saw each other at the owners' meetings. Was that last week or two weeks ago? A couple weeks, weeks ago. We spent time. We had discussions about this. We had speaks. Give me an overview of what the average Patriot fan thinks of Bill Belichick these days. It's getting a little, getting a little icy. Um, people are, I think you're going to have, it's such a large fan base and it's always hard to capture one singular emotion that everybody is feeling. 
there is a group of people that will justifiably so ride with Bill Belichick and whatever he does until he's gone. And I don't blame those people one bit because I mean, the results are there and, you know, it's hard to separate the man from those results, even if everything he's doing now, uh, you know, is, you know, justifiably scrutinized by some other folks in town, you know, that wonder without Brady, if there's going to be another version of this rebuild that that has success. So I think there is a a bit of a growing impatience and skepticism about where this is all going. And I think a lot of it is stemming from the way the season ended, losing four or five games, including two ugly ones to the Bills, and the way the offseason has gone, where they've lost J.C. Jackson, they lost two starting guards, and didn't really add anybody right away. They brought back Malcolm Butler, who spent last season retired. They, you know, they did just trade for Devontae Parker, which is a nice little move in a vacuum. But when that's your big move of your offseason, um, you know, for an offense that, you know, could use some weapons, I think people are, are wondering how this is all going to go. A lot of it, I think, hinges on Bill Belichick making the appropriate scheme adjustments on both sides of the ball to, you know, close the gap on where they were with the bills because personnel wise uh, on defense, they haven't made major changes. So they still have the draft and, you know, they can tweak some things. They signed Jabril peppers while we were departing the owners meetings, uh, another little piece on defense. And then on offense, they get, you know, it's, if Mac Jones makes a jump, then, you know, that covers up a lot of what they didn't do this offseason. If other players that they signed last offseason make a jump, you know, but we were talking at the owners meetings, not a lot of coaches slash general managers could get away with the type of offseason that Bill Belichick has had without a lot more scrutiny. But the general reaction that I got, you know, talking to people, you know, other folks not associated with the Patriots around the league was, you know, when you ask what, what you think about what the Patriots are doing or what Bill Belichick's up to, they're all kind of wondering what he's up to. They're like, what's he got up his sleeve? Because nobody wants to say he's out of his mind. Why doesn't he have an offensive coordinator? They're not, you know, they're, they need to rebuild that offensive line. They're, you know, they're getting worse. What's going on? There's a few people that might say that under the, you know, the cloak of anonymity, but most people, when you're having an honest conversation are sitting there wondering, Man, I don't know what's up his sleeve <laughs> because that's the reputation he's established. And that's why I think this team is, is an interesting one because we're about, we learn a lot about Bill Belichick, I feel like, in this version of the rebuild as opposed to having essentially the same story for 20 years with, with Brady. It evolved. Uh, there were different versions, but ultimately a very similar script. And now it's a lot of new stuff, and we'll see. Um, you know, if he can back it up, I think they will be a competitive team, but the rest of the AFC has certainly gotten, gotten a bit better and probably widened the gap talent wise. Yeah. It's a fascinating team. And I think the dolphins are going to be interesting. Um, even with all of the turbulence surrounding ownership and the Brian Flores lawsuit coaching change, there's all, there's all kinds of turnover there, but they've added some interesting pieces um the jets i don't think uh are going to be players uh, for a little while in the afc east 
Um, but the Patriots, they were a surprise last year. And like you said, I think just from a, a feel standpoint, so many teams have just gotten better and, and, and we're good already. And that includes the Bills. I know that the Bills have lost a couple of players. You know, I'm thinking Cole Beasley or, or John Feliciano. But they've patched those up pretty quickly. And I think Gabriel Davis's uh, emergence is uh, going to help make up for whatever Cole Beasley's uh, diminishing production uh, would have given Jamison Crowder might be better than Cole Beasley. And they yeah, went out and well, signed him, you know? So it's like they got Bob Miller. They got, he you know. start for the Jets. But, True. you know, in a role, if you can find a role for him, uh, you still have to make up for Emmanuel Sanders, although he obviously tailed quite a bit as the season went on. The hot start really helped them get out of the gates. Uh, and Emmanuel Sanders was on fire for the first month and a half of the season. But, yeah, I think that the Patriots are curious. Uh, and I guess, do you sense there uh, that – Patriots fans are coming to a, I don't want to say realization because that means that that's, there's a fact involved and we don't really know for sure, but are Patriots fans starting to feel that Bill, Bill Belichick does not have anything up his sleeve, that there's nothing there? I think there's a lot of people that think that. I think there's a lot of people that probably recognize having something up your sleeve is a lot easier when you have the greatest quarterback of all time. And that covers up a lot of things. And it's also, I mean, it's a really interesting place to, you know, an interesting team to cover and an interesting place to cover teams of all kinds, because there's no shortage of, there were probably no shortage of people five, six, seven years ago that would say that about Bill Belichick on the radio around here. Um, you know, that's the type of pressure that, you know, these guys are, in, you know, scrutiny they're always under, but I do think there is an element of that. It's, and it's an interesting dynamic because at the owners' meetings, Robert Kraft said he expects them to be legitimate contenders this year, as soon as this year, and was asked about it, you know, pretty specifically, given a chance to say, you know, the question was framed in a way where he could have, you know, do you want, do you recognize that building through the draft, you know, sometimes that's a little bit of a longer rebuild. You know, are you comfortable with it taking maybe a couple of years to be that, you know, legit contender? And he was like, I expect it to happen as soon as this year. So, you know, he went from at one point saying, you know, everybody likes to grab the headlines this time of year and, you know, we'll see. We built through the draft. That's the only way to really do it and have success long term. And then said, I expected to happen as soon as this year. He said, we've seen a lot of year two jumps from quarterbacks and, you know, let's see if, uh, if our guys got it. So, you know, and he did say, you know, he defended Bill Belichick in his coaching decisions and said, it's not always conventional and doesn't always make sense to fans or to me, he even said, um, you know, but he said it's worked out pretty well. So we'll see. And I think that's where, it gets interesting. I think the general feeling I get when I talk to people is most people seem to think Bill Belichick will coach as long as Bill Belichick wants to coach and that that might be a little while. Like he's got his sons on staff. He's in a comfortable position and he still really loves it. Like what else is Bill Belichick going to do if he's not a football coach? But the question I heard, you know, posed on the radio when I got back from the owners meetings and people 
uh, spent the entire week discussing what Robert Kraft said was, how long is Robert Kraft going to let Bill Belichick coach? And I think, you know, that's an interesting conversation to have if things don't go how old great is Robert this Kraft? year. He's 80. Or if he's not 80, he's turning 80 shortly. He might be turning 81 soon. He's in that, um, in the ballpark. Turns 81 in June. And Bill Belichick is 70 or turning 70 this year. Um, turning 70 in five days, uh, Bill Belichick is. So that is a bit of a, it, Robert Kraft is still as engaged and as passionate about owning the team as ever and about winning. Uh, he's not, you know, sitting and basking in the, the glow of the accomplishment of the last 20 years. Like he, he wants to get back and he's, uh, he understands what he has in his coach, but he's also not necessarily, I think he's got some of the same qualities that the fan base has where they're not super patient about the, the idea of rebuilding and resetting when they saw the way they were able to sustain success for so long. So certainly you don't want to be a prisoner of the moment and say, because they didn't do anything in free agency, they're not going to be good. I think there'll be a competitive team. The wheels could fall off if a couple of ill-timed injuries happen. You know, I think they're not deep at some important spots, but Bill Belichick, he, I saw last year, the way he outcoached, the, the gap between him and some coaches in the NFL is massive and it shows up in some random games where they just stack up wins because he's able to just really put the screws on certain coaches. It's not every coach, obviously. I'm not, I'm not just talking about Sean McDermott here. Uh, I know you're laughing no, over just, there. <laughs> no, 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 because McDermott won in the playoffs when it counted. So, right. And the game that the Patriots won was a fluke of a game due to the weather. So no, I'm chuckling just because it's so true. And the phrase put the screws to, because that is yeah. like, I, I'm going to turn this one more time because I can, you know, there, so it was the, your phraseology was just, it's, it, it's exactly right. I'm already have you locked down, but I'm going to turn the screw a couple more times. Yeah. It, and it's like the, there's certain games where you go into it and you think like those bills games are going to be tough for them this year. Uh, because the coaching gap isn't dramatic there. And I do think Sean McDermott got over a little something by winning those two games. I think they poured it on for that reason um, in, in that last game because he, the fan base, the roster, a lot of people were getting over something with Bill Belichick yes. and the Patriots and putting them... McDermott was turning the screws. Yeah, the putting them into a different bucket, you know, yeah. putting them into a team that you can kick their ass and making them feel like a team where you know, you can kick their ass, but like when they went out to LA and Bill Belichick was up against the chargers and a young coach, as good a coach as he is, as Staley is, that was a game where I felt like young quarterback, young coach. Yeah. Bill Belichick's going to, going to figure this one out. And, you know, they, they crushed the Browns who weren't a great team last year, but there's enough of those middling teams with coaches that are kind of figuring it out that Belichick has a way of, of really, you know, showing the the Belichick advantage shows up and so I don't know that they're the type of team that'll completely bottom out that would have happened in 2020 if that were the case but you do wonder if staying the course and developing within and making scheme adjustments and trusting your guys like Joe Judge and Matt Patricia to to be the the guys that are making it work on offense 
you do wonder if, if that's going to be like, you know, the type of seven and 10, eight and nine, nine and eight season early playoff exit, if they can get to 10 wins and how that sits, because I don't think that's going to sit great uh, with a lot of people. And I don't think he's under any pressure this year, but I think a season like that would create some pressure going into 2023, which is weird to think about, but that's how it is for all of these guys, right? How many of these guys get to go out on their own terms in any sport as coaches? Not that many. Um, there, there's ways that you We're have to delicately sure do Bruce it. Arians went out on his own terms. Right. I mean, we, we think maybe, maybe it's hard to say. I mean, <laughs> and that's true of a lot of coaches that it gets to a weird point and it's probably more Chuck true. Noel, Don Shula. I mean, yeah, coach K guy. seems to have gone out on his own terms uh, in college basketball, but I don't know. It doesn't happen that often. And I think Belichick could pull it off because of how much he's accomplished. He's going to get a longer runway, but he's also in a, a sports market um, where that runway doesn't, doesn't extend as long. Uh, that might cancel out all the accomplishments as crazy as that may seem. Um, a lot of it comes down to the owner though, and how, how patient Robert Kraft is willing to be. And it would be a ballsy move to move on from him. And try to figure out what's next. But Robert Kraft strikes me as the type of guy with, that, that's bold enough to do it if it comes to that. But I don't think he wants to deal with that. I mean, he chose, essentially chose Belichick over Brady. Um, and, you know, it's probably the smart move. I know it doesn't look that way, um, you know, given the results that Brady's gotten, but something had to give, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. So, I don't know, it's part of what drew me to, you know, a lot of people, when I moved to cover this team, were like, oh, the Bills are on their way to winning Super Bowls and the Patriots are on their way down. And I'm like, maybe they're on their way down. But either way, it's really interesting, <laughs> you know, what, whatever yeah. happens. It was part of what drew me to um, the team and the, covering the team and, you know, covering the team in this market was just how this is all going to play out, I think, is there's still a chapter to be written of this fascinating Patriots story that's unfolded over the last 20 plus years my pivot from NHL reporter to NFL reporter in which I was curious and, and stressed as to whether or not I could be a good NFL reporter, um, but was cemented by a team that went one in 15. Like I covering that one in 15 dolphins team in 2007 was like five years worth of work crammed into one season. Cause there was so much turmoil. Um, uh, yeah, the, the asset, a lot of people don't understand that as journalists, the covering a winner doesn't necessarily translate to much, maybe the occasional as told to book deal, uh, but it really doesn't do much for you. Uh, I mean, I don't think that Jordan Rodriguez's career uh, is in any different place today than it was before the Rams won the Super Bowl. Um, She's a superstar regardless. Yeah, I mean, covering shit teams is actually sometimes a lot more fertile material, fertile ground uh, for good journalism than than covering a, a great team. Yeah, it depends on how you look at it. I mean, certainly, I, I mean, I said it on this podcast when I left. It's not like, you know, I was looking for 
you know, a better story than the Bills. Uh, there was a lot of elements of this particular team and beat that, that drew me here. And the Bills are a really cool story in their own right. Um, you know, and if this hadn't popped up, I'd still be there covering them. Um, but I think there is, you know, certainly a benefit, like you said, maybe you get the book deal, uh, you know, if they win the Super Bowl, you know, you get a little little extra in the coffer because uh, somebody wants a Super Bowl book turned around in four months and you were there. Um, but really, it's, it's a matter of, you know, that that dries up pretty quick, right? Like, you know, that's a, a one time thing. And only one person really gets to do that book. And even so, that's where, you know, being along for the ride and all that of, oh, they're winning, you know, people are like, oh, you missed out on all the winning in New England. It's like, that's fine. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. people are still paying attention to him. They're still arguing about him. People still want to know what Bill Belichick's up to. And frankly, that's kind of the, what you want your the team to win for in other places is to get that exposure. So people are paying attention to what's going on with the bills. Or if you're the Scotty Scheffler guy, you know, and you've been following him and he wins, like that's good for you because people are paying attention, but people are always paying attention in new England. And that's, what's kind of cool and interesting about it's harder to stand out because there's a million people uh, here feeding that beast, but it's part of what, you know, makes it interesting. I was talking to uh, a few people before I left about that is, you know, whatever happens in new England, people are not going to be able to take their eyes off it much like tiger woods. Um, you know, Bill Belichick is the type of guy that if he's on CNN, people know, a lot of people know who he is. People aren't saying who the hell is this guy, you know? Um, and that's, you know, Brady's gone. Certainly that takes away some of the mystique of what's happening here, but it's certainly been, uh, it's been interesting. There's a, it, there's a, a larger than life aspect to, to what Bill Belichick is and has done. You can feel it from people in the league. I don't know. I mean, obviously you're not talking to as many people specifically about Bill, um, but it's like the first thing people ask me, Oh man, like what's it like dealing with Bill or, you know, it, even the people in the league that are competing against him. I think a lot of them grew up with what he was doing. You know, there's a lot of young GMs and young coaches that, um, Bill Belichick's been doing this a while. He's almost 70 years old. So there's a, he's got a mystique, but that's, that only lasts so long. It, it you know, it kind of goes away for everybody eventually. And this year is going to be kind of a pivot point in this rebuild. Yeah, it's great stuff. Well, we'll be following along from, from Buffalo, Matthew, as you continue to cover the Patriots. Um, thanks for joining the show today. And uh, anything you want to say before we uh, before we uh, wrap it up here? I have a, anything else, anything Buffalo related. Any... I have a Buffalo, a Buffalo take, actually, uh -oh. um, a Buffalo and Boston take in one. What do you think of that? Yeah, that we can close the show on. Uh, I was kind of struck by this Devin Levi story over the weekend, which I feel like your listeners can appreciate. It's, it's a little bit of it's niche and I know I'm not Chris Baker. So far be it for me to discuss, um, you know, a Sabres prospect here on this show. But um, I did go to my, my dad and my sister and I went to a Northeastern uh, Merrimack game at the end of the year. My dad went to Northeastern. My mom went to Northeastern. Um, so I pay attention to, to Devin Levi quite a bit, was really fascinated watching him. Um, 
live because he does this weird thing in between whistles where during TV timeouts, he skates like probably 10 feet out of his crease, turns around, goes down on, on his knees or sometimes sits on his stick and like meditates during TV timeouts. He's a very interesting, introspective kid. I was not shocked that he decided to return to, to school and not sh also not shocked by the reaction of panic that this means he's going to ride it out and leave and bail on the Sabres. But I think Chris and I talked quite a bit about Levi as I was kind of watching some Hockey East games. You know, they're on TV all the time here. And goalies are weird. Goalies are different. And, like, people wanting to rush Devin Levi, I thought, was a little uh, – a bit much. I think it's okay for him to stay in school. And what Kevin Adams said about him wanting all that pressure of everybody paying attention to him and expecting huge things of him for a whole season – I think that's pretty cool. And I think as far as guys that have it together between the ears, emotionally, mentally, he seems like he's there. So maybe you would argue, what's he going to gain? But I think goalie being a very mental and emotional type of position, I think he does gain a lot. Whether the level of competition is, it's clearly not as good as the AHL, but I don't think that really matters. I think being in that mental space of having to be the guy that carries the team and having to be that guy that everybody's paying attention to after the season he just had, I think is just as good for him as the AHL. And I think, I don't know, I have no inside info on whether he'll try to bail on the Sabres. I tend to doubt it because he would have to hang around for a while. It's probably more of a concern for the Michigan goalie who only has, you know, he'll kind of have his decision next year if he wants. And if but fans are, if the, if the fans excitement comes to fruition about the Sabres future, then Devin Levi will be coming to a team that is much more attractive than what he'd be leaving school for now. And the goalie said like a goalie, you're not going to want to pluck him out of college and throw him into the net in the NHL anyways. Right. So it's a very, you know, meandering fluid, not, linear situation of development for that position and i don't know if it's because buffalo is also a big football town um you know I was texting with chris about this and he's like i've been trying to educate people on this for 20 years and I, I give up you know and i think a lot of people do get it that hockey's a lot different you don't pick a guy and expect him to be your star in year one or two but goalie especially is not perfect from a you know it's a guessing game i mean this kid was a late round pick and so it's just say give it time and, and see where the kid ends up maybe he's the sabers goalie a few years from now and it he's more ready Ryan miller to keep going sure. back to school and go through the minors still and he was a fifth round pick i think yeah there's something about uh, you know especially where he plays college hockey in the hockey East, uh, you know, the, the rigors of that season and what he's talking about of being the guy on a team that people, you know, they're, they were a young team this year. They'll bring back some players. Um, playing in events like the bean pot, the bean know, there's, pot there's and stress there's, there's added attention. I mean, in fact, hockey's playoffs. Added, yeah. Maybe the talent level isn't as great or the grueling aspect of the travel or getting used to riding the buses in the AHL. Yeah. There's, but I think that the stress level and the, the drama is probably greater in hockey East than it is in the AHL. Yeah. That's kind of what I mean by like, I think he's just as well off because like mentally and emotionally, he's going to be dealing with what 
not exactly what he'll deal with in the NHL, but what it will feel like to be the guy. Not that he didn't get that this year, but um, it'll be on a different level next year and he'll have more of it. Uh, and if you rush a, a goalie, I don't know, kind of like we were talking about in golf, you know, you get a goalie gets in his head and loses it, you know, then it's hard to get back sometimes. And so you want to be, I think Kevin Adams has taken a pretty good approach with those guys, you know, letting, letting things play out how they're comfortable with and not trying to rush them along. And, you know, I mean, it'll certainly make hockey East a little bit more interesting next year. That game against Merrimack was, you know, scoreless the entire game, essentially because of Devin Levi. Uh, I was texting Chris Baker throughout the game uh, for entertainment purposes to add to my experience because uh, he was watching the game, of course, on as he does on uh, as he's watching all these games. It was like you know Friday I'm night, and, he wasn't uh, <laughs> and um, I'm just struck by how calm. I, I've, there's very few goalies I've seen that are that calm uh, as he is in such a hectic game on the road. It was at Merrimack. Um, not the most raucous barn, but, you know, 3,000 and a tiny little rink, uh, pretty loud for senior night. A lot of traffic, you know, around the net, a lot of, you know, you know, greasy opportunities for Merrimack. And the kid was just steady as could be. And they snuck out a last minute win and won the hockey East regular season that night. I don't know. He's, he's interesting to me. And I, I was interested by him going back because it felt like a somewhat mature thing to do. And there wasn't a uh, consensus mature response on the internet, but I don't think there ever is on the internet. So <laughs> Matthew, this has been fun. I'm glad I asked you if you had anything to add because that's pretty good insight. Yeah. A little Buffalo, but you know, you asked me on the show, so I had to come prepared, uh, have a little something in my holster. Um, I appreciate you know, that. Localize it to both of my locales. Dig it. Well, it's good to see your face, as always. It was good to see you in uh, in Florida for the owners' meetings. I'm sure we'll be crossing paths again someday on the on the dusty road, or when you come back to Buffalo to visit. Um, thank you for doing this. No, thanks for having me. One of the all-time great F's in TGAF history. I don't even want to say one of. I mean, hell, that that's kind of not giving you enough credit. I mean, <laughs> one of is yeah. one of a handful. <laughs> yeah, there's not uh, the, the 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 list is tiny. Uh, thank you for doing this, and uh, thank you out there for listening and watching. Tim Graham and friends, brought to you by CTBK CPAs and business consultants. CTBK is more than just a full service accounting firm. They are one team with an innovative approach to accounting and rise to each new challenge with collaborative problem-solving skills. CTBK goes above and beyond by lending helping hands in the Buffalo and Niagara community through volunteer work and donations and has partnered up with Victory Sports for 2020 and 2021 to keep kids in the community active. The professionals at CTBK are determined to help individuals and businesses succeed. Whether a large corporation, a small business, or somewhere in between, call CTBK at 716-630-2400. Again, 716-630-2400, and see what CTBK's one-team approach can do for you.